Hey y'all, welcome back to the Overflow Podcast. Today's episode is so, so beautiful, so, so good. I am talking to the ultimate consummate Piscean of the ages, Sonia Estelle. And we recorded this during Aquarius season because we wanted to really tap into the vibes of the age of Aquarius and what shifts are happening as we leave the eon or epoch of the age of Pisces and shift into this more detached yet contained uh, way of being. I'm excited to introduce you formally to Sanyu, but if you're following along with me on Instagram at The Overflow, you know that Sanyu put a spell on The Overflow. I love it so much. I worked with her to create a spell for overflow based on our mission statement, which is that we are a nurturing space for the rediscovery of your sacred self. So I'll be sharing that spell again when I announce this podcast episode. But just listen to Sanyu, who is the self-proclaimed, she is the word witch to her bio. And I won't do it justice because you really have to be able to be like reading it, but it's just amazing. So pigmented, parentheses, 82%. Womanist, and it's spelled woman, W-O-M-O-O-N, like the moon. As constant as the tides. Sissy, femme but hetero-ish. Flexible, asexual. It's a spectrum. Seems unwise to call it. Travel apt. Earth is a country. And fashion forward. Funk flag flyage. SSJW Sarcastic Social Justice Warrior. Yes, 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 yes. And then she says, I'm your forebears attainable unreality. She's just everything. It's so Piscean, so cosmic, so amazing. We talk about activism in this age of Aquarius personal responsibility um, for the consciousness shifts that we want to see in this world. She also gives a read on my Pisces placements, which are my North Node and Moon in the eighth house, which is hilarious. And so we start there. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Sonia. Thank you for coming to the Overflow Podcast. Hi, Camille. Thank you for having me here. I'm so happy. I'm so excited. Me too. If you guys don't follow Sonia, um, you're tripping. No. <laughs> um, but Sonia is the word witch. It's one of her many titles. I experienced Sonia as just this amazing multidimensional being who's been like such a blessing to me and also a blessing to the collective. So I'm very excited that I get to share her with some of you for the first time. Um, You're a Pisces. Yes, I am. And we kind of just gisted a little bit about how I'm a Pisces moon. And apparently you have some 
opinions about my moon placement in the eighth house and what that might mean. I want to hear a little bit yes. about that. So it's funny because my astrological knowledge is intuitive rather Same. than, oh, really? Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So we, we family. So when I hear Pisces moon, I'm like, oh, that's a sweet moon because we are already emotional. We are already, you know, poetic and, and, and femme. I think there's something decidedly femme, but, um, but then you said it was in the eighth house and I was like, Oh, um, power, sex, death, taboos, like, because Pisces, it's funny. There's, I, I say this actually, and it's my intuition, but obviously Gemini is a twin sign. But in my opinion, so is Libra and so is Pisces because there's two scales and there's two fish. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a duality to Piscean nature where, you know, there's the evolved mystic and then there's like the delusional, like. <laughs> fantastical, crazy. Fantastical, <laughs> like snake sales person, like snake salesman. Um, so having that in the eighth house, is I think it's kind of sweet in the sense that it's it's like there's kink there, but it's investigative, you know, because I think mm. Pisces is going to be open. So that's a kind of a good place to be open, especially with your moon. Probably means that you're like attracted to like a, an assortment of people. <laughs> mm-hmm. My Venus is also in Gemini. Oh, so. oh. <laughs> Anyway, let's move yeah. on. Yeah, what's going on? What's interesting though is because we're like the title. I think that's still what I'm going to call this thing is collective consciousness, which is what Pisces is all about. Like super tapped into like everything and everybody. But you just come off as a very just a wise mystic and obviously like very ancient but very futuristic. And I want to know what has influenced you like what your traditions are what kind of like made you be and believe and practice the way that you practice yes well I would say like from an origin perspective my parents are were my dad passed away last year but like he is this like this is his identity doesn't go away so like they're from different continents and but they were both from countries colonized by the British and they met in a country colonized by the British so they had that shared colonial <laughs> lived experience mm-hmm. and then they got together decidedly from different cultures my dad being Ugandan my mom being Belizean and then moved to LA which is somewhere that no one in the family had lived before on either of their sides and like that's where we were all born and brought up so in that sense, I was already raised in a multicultural household in the sense that it was three kinds of British colonized ethnicities in, in the house, especially being in L.A., which is just like little Mexico. But then I was raised Episcopalian and I did have to go to church every Sunday that I wasn't sick until I was like 18. However, <laughs> and I know Episcopalians called like Catholic light when my friend says calls it Catholic light. <laughs> but I grew up in a black Episcopalian church and Ooh, that sounds very different. Yes, and the our the pastor growing up, Father Bola, um, was from Augusta, Georgia. 
And it was a contemporary of Martin Luther King Jr. and and came up in that school and that seminary lifestyle and amongst those people and had that ethos. He was actually originally brought over to the church that we grew up in to be the uh, preacher to a white church because that was a like not historically white, but that had been gentrified. Yeah. Um, And then eventually because of how who he was and how he was all the black people around there were like oh we gotta go to this church and then of course white flight and (laughs) and then it became a black church so I was raised in that it was a community and it was a in a positive community and there were lots of different kinds of people but lots of different kinds of blackness afro-caribbean people black american people african people um and people from the South and Northwest and all these things. So that definitely influenced my, my thinking because I was also a lay reader. So I had to read in front of the church, all this like biblical stuff mm-hmm. and being a Pisces with my Mercury in Pisces, I was the kind of kid who and probably because I have my rising in Capricorn, but like I'm the kind of kid who, when I read and I didn't know a word, I would highlight it or I'd dog ear the page and then I'd go back and then look at a dictionary. So being a lay reader in the, in the Bible, I was like, like a clestial and like all these words, you're like, Ebuchadnezzar, you're like, what the fuck is all this? <laughs> and so that made me really inquisitive. Um, but then I grew up, Belizeans are very like, a, there, it's Belize is the only country in Central America that was colonized by the British, but it's the only Afro, mm. uh, Afro Caribbean country in Central America because it's black, mainly black. So, and then there's the Maya population, and then there's people from Guatemala, mixed Latinx, um, and indigenous kinds of people and stuff like that. So, Belizeans are very spiritual. They're, they've always been very spiritualist people. And so even though I grew up in the church, like I was not discouraged from reading my astrological sign or mm-hmm. reading Harry Potter or watching fantasy movies or learning about Edgar Casey, which my mo- mother grew up reading about and Joan Grant, who were like mystics and channels of the early 1900s of like white and British influence. And so I was not discouraged from that kind of curiosity. I just had to go to church every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> you can do all your research. You can explore. But what you will do is be in church on Sunday. Yeah. And so when I was 18, I made a decision as the youngest child of three and born 12 and six years after my siblings as a surprise child that I was like, not, I'm from LA. I was like, I'm not going to apply to any schools in California. So I only applied to East coast and East coast schools and Spelman. (laughs) And, um, and I ended up getting into a a not California school with the intention that I needed to get away so that I I knew I couldn't be so close to home that I would go home with my laundry or to eat food. I was like, I need to get the fuck out the coop. And wanted that independence. I wanted it and I needed it. And I also wanted to see like what I was about on my own. And so leaving and also church, like I love church for the community. I loved it for the, the public speaking knowledge. I, 
loved it for the communion wine. I loved it for. <laughs> I am a Pisces. <laughs> I loved it for the communion wine, and I loved it for the sermons because we had an orator and the privilege of listening to an orator as a child, like that's the most interesting whole part of church. It was like, yeah, all the standing and stuff we're singing is a lot, but this sermon's interesting. But I had more questions and they weren't answered. So by the time I was out in college, it was kind of like, I came into an era where I guess kind of dreaming was my, my most spiritual influence and me being someone who remembers my dreams from a young age and was writing from a young age around five or six and was told to write my dreams down from a young age. That also was something that was, you know, not crushed. Yeah. That's a blessing. Yeah. And that I could have that and that I could write it to myself. Right. Cause I was probably doing trippy shit. I didn't share everything with my parents, but like they didn't mind that I had like a dream journal. So I had that kind of privacy and because I taught myself to read from an early age from my mom reading me, reading to me and me wanting to learn because I asked her, I was like, teach me how to read. Um, I gave myself that, the privacy to spiritually develop in a way that was sort of like unseen by anybody else. But I didn't at a young age really know what it was. So it wasn't until I got out of college and came back and got into Tai Chi that I ended up coming back to Taoism in a way like, or coming into Taoism in a way that was very nourishing for me, not only from the discipline of having a martial practice for three years, because that's as long as I did it, because I moved after that from my school, but just like Taoism, the Tao or Tao as a principle is so all encompassing. It was a really assuring and nourishing to me to come into that and to just be able to like self-study and already as a writer and as a poet like the Tao Te Ching is a very poetic book so I had read Upanishads I had read part uh, obviously the Old Testament is the Torah so I'd read that you know I'd read these things I'd looked into other faiths but I was looking for something that was expansive and Tao, Taoism was the answer to that and has been the answer to that for a while. Other than that, I practice Ifa, but that's like more new. Okay. Okay. I want to talk about that for sure. And I really appreciate what you're saying about um, the Tao and Taoism because it feels like something where you can self-initiate. Um, and on my own like spiritual practice and journey, I really appreciated the ability to be able to self-initiate, to self-discover and to learn for myself and to have like firsthand experiences where I am basically in that privacy that you talked about setting Mm -hmm. up just because I did grow up very similarly, had to be at church every Sunday, um, but there was a lot more, um, there was a lot of legalism and there was a lot of, there you can ask any questions Um, Instead, you were actually trained um, to not ask questions and to question anything that did not look like Mm -hmm. um, or was if it was similar to but not exactly like it was heresy. And so um, it was very, very restrictive. And so I really appreciate um, practices like Taoism that are kind of like this is something that you can apply. Um, this is something that is for everyone. Um, but at the same time, 
also have a deep appreciation for indigenous practices. And of course, we know Ifa is a little more mainstream just because of the ways in which the diaspora has really maintained it and like nurtured it and done its best to preserve um, preserve the faith. But tell us about your experiences in Ifa. Yes. Um, I have to actually think back. I don't, I, Arguably, I was around Ifa and its and its uh, descendants of practices, um, including Santeria and Kurumbla and and all of these. So I was around them for uh, around the same amount of time. But at that time, I was more attending different sort of um, Ifa ceremonies that were for for public, whether that be like a Gungun festival for your ancestors or something for any of the particular Orisha or like archetypal energies that exist in that, in the pantheon of that practice. And so I was, they were adjacent, but my initiation was much slower into Ifa because it's uh, for listeners. It is the indigenous practice of the Yoruba people of what is now called Nigeria. Um, and it obviously, um, moved, moved along with the transatlantic enslavement trade and, and was mixed with other practices from like uh, voodoo and different things that people practice in different areas and other practices that we don't even know about. But anyways, it all got baked in. And so I was attending different kinds of things. Sometimes it would be a Santeria, a like a meeting in honor of an Orisha and other times it would be maybe just like a Sunday service at Ile, which is like the spiritual house of Ifa. And so, but I was actively practicing martial arts at that time. And I was actively reading the Tao as someone considering it as a practice. I was attending these ceremonies as a guest and as somebody who respected and as someone with an African father who understood these sort of things, even though both of my grandfathers were pastors and priests on my dad's side, evangelical on my mom's side, Anglican. And so, but it was not, I mean, my dad was also a Pisces and my mom's a Scorpio. So I think I also just grew up in like a watery household where the restrictions weren't so like, la, 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 but I hadn't dived, de- delved into Ifa because it's a much more initiatory practice, especially because you can approach Tao from a spiritualist perspective. You can approach it from a martial arts perspective. And then there's the actual like historical, cultural knowledge of Taoism, which is the the richest. And then there's like the alchemical aspects of Taoism. So it's like those are initiatory schools. I came in through the spiritual aspect, which is just that how does a Taoism applies to existence in the universe and anyone can engage with it and practice it by just practicing and following the Tao. Um, but when I came back from the Netherlands after a, considering I went to pursue a master's in criminology with a focus in penology, which is prison studies outside of the United States, because we don't do rehabilitation. <laughs> so I was like, why would I study that here? All we make is criminal lawyers, forensics, and social workers. We don't make like people who help people out of that process or yeah. through that process. And when I came back after a little stint in New York and a health crisis, 
I was just home in LA more often and with Onyi Love, my sister from another Mistar, ended up attending many more um, IFA services uh, continually because I hadn't been living consistently in LA either. And that brought me into IFA. And IFA, the way that I've been thinking about it recently is like Taoism, they're like a perfect marriage because they're both practices. Like you can be, you can be a practitioner of Ifa, a Babalawa or an Iya, and you can also, or yeah, any of those. And you can also be a preacher. <laughs> you can also be a Taoist. You can also be an Iman. Like it, on that practices side, it's not prohibitive. Mm-hmm. Whatever religion you might practice may say that's heresy, but, but Ifa says everything is a part of it. And Taoism says everything is a part of it. So they are different dimensions of the same quality of energy. Cause I feel like Taoism is much more big picture, large scale. This is how we are all alike. And this is, and even in our differences and we can take this in and practice that understanding. Whereas Ifa is much more on the ground day to day. Hey, you person, this is your body clock. This is how you tick. And these are the things you need to be attentive to in your day-to-day and how you interact with people so that you can be attentive to the Taoism great mysteries. Now, the further you go into Ifa, of course, it covers the same stuff. But like, I'm like five years in, you could be practicing Ifa for like 40 years and not know everything, just like Taoism. But it is less accessible because there's more gatekeeping. And there's also just like rampant systemic racism so like more people are just like not gonna practice an indigenous african practice yeah i really love the way that you explain how they're complementary because that's that is how i view them or how like i receive them as like okay or any or even my own faith you know, or my own spiritual practices because they might not be the same but they're very similar in that yes I'm aware of like this multi-dimensionality like yes I can access these other dimensions of consciousness like yes I'm aware of like maybe these other timelines of earth and I'm here right now and so I really want to be focused on how do I how am I in right relationship with the earth right now how, how am I in right relationship with other humans right now how am I going to be able to sustain this life. And so having multiple points of practice that allow you to like be balanced is really what you're explaining. And that really, really resonates with me. Yes, yes, we're kindred spirits in that sense. And I needed something sustainable, right? Like for me, and this could very well be like a sun. And it's funny, because I think of rising moon and your sun sign as like a trio of energy. And I'm a, I'm a Pisces sun, Capricorn rising and a Taurus moon. So I always say river from bank to banky. That's how I say a river from bank to banky from, from that childhood uh, hand play game. So the way that I think of it is I have this natural desire to have something that is constant, unconditional, you know, like the ocean, like the mountain. And I was looking for a practice or practices that actually spoke to existence at that level, which I mean, I can still sit in any other kind of service and get a benefit from what is said there, because I'm going to find a way. But for me, I wanted something that 
I knew could sustain me till my deathbed, like a practice that I would be happy to practice and that gave me answers regularly. And for me, these two practices are just that. I love that. I love that. I, when you talk about the way that they both hold all that is, that really feels right for me just because of the dogma of the background that I came from. I've never wanted to be um, immersed in anything that had those type of limitations or restrictions. Like I definitely embrace and welcome like ritual and um, the wisdom of like the elders to like say the way something is supposed to be practiced. And like, I have honor and reverence for that. For that. And I know that like, we don't know everything. Like there's always something else. We should always be asking more questions. And so some of the things that you've talked about regularly on social media or the way that you approach um, the concept of oneness on social media is really why I invited you here because it just, (laughs) it feels like so, um, is it antithetical or I think that might be it to what we see um, and from everyone, right? Like it's always, it's always, this is it. This is the way, this is the right way. Um, And everybody else, like you're canceled. Um, And even in spaces where there is um, an enhanced amount of consciousness, we still get to this place where there, it feels sometimes like the vibration of love isn't there. Mm. And I'm not excluding myself from that because especially when it comes to like whiteness or just anything, I'm like, I really don't care. Like at this point, like (laughs) you just need to figure it out. Like we're, I'm tired of like talking about this. I'm actually not going to give you any of my attention or my energy. And I wonder sometimes like, okay, well, we got to figure this out together. So how are we going to do this? We are on a globe. It is encapsulated and round. I'm trying to tell people, I'm like, literally what goes around comes around people on this planet. Like, what the fuck? So how do you see activists learning or what can activists or anybody seeking a more just world, what principles of Taoism or oneness as you understand it to be can be applied to not only make our efforts more sustainable but also more in alignment with what I would say what God wants what spirit wants what oneness wants what existence wants I guess is the best way that's coming through for me yes I have a few answers coming in one that I should say is like the true essence of God isn't to want, it's simply to be. Yes. And so like that neutrality, that dynamic neutrality allows for everything that does exist, right? Because I I try to remind clients and, and people in general, like the existence that made Hitler, made Anne Frank, the existence that made, you know, Juman Hansu, made Donald Trump, you know? And so the spectrum is allowed and is apparently as necessary as everything else that we know to exist. So a big part of my practice and about what activism is, in my opinion, is to suspend your disbelief or, in the words of Beyonce, stop the world, okay? So you stop the world 
and you have a moment and you're like, okay, if the same thing that put me here, put everything here too, even that which seems in opposition with me, like, why would that be? Now, of course, the simple answer would be like, existence is meaningless and it doesn't give a fuck about you. And like, we come from nothing, but nothing is a concept. So that's something. So that's paradox inherent, right? And then existence is meaningless is the same as saying it's meaningful, right? It, it contains no meaning and it contains all meaning. So there's that dynamic neutrality there where it's impartial. It, everything that's here, it needs to be here, which is why it is. And there's no thought to it. There's just doing to it. Now we are extensions of existence. We are the thought part. We're the thoughts. We're the, we're the hose over there. Okay? Um, and we are given all that dynamic neutrality with which to dance along this infinite spectrum of our own opinion, of our own perspective. And so activism in these days, in my opinion, is acknowledging what's there in a way where you allow the reflection of that to give you more permission to be yourself rather than less permission to be yourself or what usually happens, stripping other people's of the permission to be themselves because if their reflection is that they can't be, then why do you have to be? Mm. And that's a hard one because of so much of the social conditioning. And I think maybe that's why it's more helpful or even sometimes more controversial coming out of my mouth because I'm not a canceler. It doesn't mean I prefer you and it does not necessarily even mean I'm going to be nice to you, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but like I'm not usually coming to you. So like, if you're going to come to me, you're going to get what you're going to get. Similarly, depending on how I choose to respond and this is Taoism, depending on how I would choose to respond, anything from that point is also possible. So I have to consider the instant residual effect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's the Piscean quality. Um, so activism is much less about opposition work and more about self-actualization work. But if you're going to decide that your self-actualization is contingent upon XYZQP all the way to Z outside of you doing XYZQP, you're going to wait for fucking ever. So the point is existence sanctioned everybody. We're all co-signed do what you can do in the direction that is most necessary for you and let the experiential knowledge be your guide rather than this intellectual projection of an idea of a life that the people who project aren't even really fucking living. That's, that's my, <laughs> because sometimes I particularly feel this way when it comes to like capitalism and critiques on capitalism. And I'm like, yeah, but like you got a job, fam, and you have a job at an institution, like you trying to get tenure. Like, I don't understand how we can be so quick to like bring this energy and this heat. Mm. And I'm like, okay. And then it really makes me sometimes, it makes it hard for me to engage. And I've kind of like shifted a little bit of my focus of doing what you're saying. And that's like building something new, building something that I find is like bringing safety, joy, healing, and wholeness to communities that, um, or the people who are resonating with me or a part of my little soul cluster, or monad group, whatever is going on with me right now. <laughs> but More on that later. Right. 
more on that. Uh, but I learned about like this vibrational quality um, from you in one of your workshops that people should definitely check out. But it is about deconstruction. Um, and my mind is kind of evading me right now as far as what the difference is, is between that vibration. But like if you're focusing on deconstruction, that's not necessarily the most uh beneficial, not that it doesn't have its place, but on the evolutionary spectrum, there are other octaves. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. I think what humanity struggles with is the naturalness of decay, right? So like, ultimately, we don't really need to deconstruct anything. You just need to participate in what you actually prefer. And the thing will disappear on its own right? Because no one is holding it up. No one, we are holding up the constructs. We are creating the culture. We are creating the buildings that mean the concepts that we give them, that do the business that we allow them to do. So to focus on the thing you don't want, the deconstruction of the thing that you don't want is only so effective if you're trying to do it outside of you. Like better to do it in your personal history better to do it in the experiential knowledge you already have that you're avoiding in yourself. And the more that you do that, the more generous you will be in your reflection of existence in others. The more you will see yourself in earth and less you'll see yourself in this particular identity or that particular kind of person or this particular physicality or way of being. And so activism, of course, in the in an emerging age of Aquarius, it's like dynamic individualism, like collective dynamic individualism. And the recognition that if everyone is the puzzle piece that they are, the picture is made perfect. But if everyone's trying to stack on the same piece, the puzzle never gets made because you don't need any repeat pieces in a puzzle. You just need every piece that's supposed to be there. And so like that kind of analogy or is what I'm trying to get across with the octaves. I'm glad you said octaves, actually, because like you said, deconstruction isn't bad, but death takes care of itself, taking care of all of us. Like decay, if infinity's got decay on lock, like we, existence doesn't need our help, death does not need our help. I should say existence doesn't need our help. Ex death doesn't need our help. Like we will die, so you don't need to off yourself and no one needs, like you don't need to go out of your way to kill anybody. and we will all learn from our individual perspective regardless of how much someone wants to impose their will upon you. It's like, you can't even do that. Like someone can hold a gun to your head and say, think about watermelon or I'll fucking kill you, but they're not in there. Could be thinking about anything. Could think about, be thinking about bricks. All I have to say is I'm thinking about watermelon. And it's that, recognition of where the control actually is right like it's actually within you because you're giving your consent from within you i wrote this in recently in one of my stories um which is like you know for someone for nigger to mean something mm -hmm. i have to respond in a way that says it does now depending on the time and place you were that came with a lot of other things it was never just hey nigger but it was but in this day and age I almost feel like the response has to be like, oh, I know you're not talking to me. So 
I have a good day, sir. You know, whatever that might be, or you too, nigger, have a good day. And like, whatever that looks like, because <laughs> the idea is you give it, you give it energy, you give it attention and you decide that it's like more relevant to you than your own reality, which is just as valid and just as validated by existence. Then you give that construct power. Doesn't mean you don't say, I don't, I'm not spoken to that way. So if you're going to speak to me that way, you're not speaking to me. Like that's a different way of addressing the situation as opposed to saying that means something that I believe and I'm going to react as if it has some sort of control over me that I, that I don't give it. We give it, especially us with the privilege of this modern age, us with the privilege of you, you can literally beat a, you can beat a racist ass in the street and you may not die depending on who you are and who's catching you at the time and how many cops are around, you know, but like, there's room for that kind of interaction. Whereas there was, that didn't exist in our parents and our grandparents generation to the extent that we are able to see it with the internet and with social media and all these things, put it on a (laughs) t-shirt. No, yeah, it's definitely different. And obviously people are a lot, I mean, folks are bold. Um, regardless of what they're saying now on social media, like it could be your skin folk. It don't even have to be (laughs) like just everybody just got something to say and we all have opinions. But it's like you said earlier about like bringing it directly to you versus just like having the thought. Um, I'm going on a little bit of a tangent, but it makes me think about like, people and the the social media age and how much freedom, right, that we have to like think a thing, have a thought and present it as truth. And so I guess I want to hear you talk a little bit about truth because I've also heard you kind of discuss that in the framework of like, it is very individual and like all of these things can be true. Yes. Um, All truths are, all truths are true from a different perspective. And and that's something that I think is very um, frustrating for human people in particular. I'm not really sure what that is. I was actually looking up what trust is in the etymology. And of course, it's to be firm, solid, or steadfast. And so it's like, it doesn't have really anything to do with how people speak on you or what rumors might be going around or what people might think. The truth is like, this is what it is for me. So I just do it. Right. And I try to emphasize this to people and it's, and it's for our generation to really bring in the acceptance of, of, or like the legitimacy as well of, of leaving when you leave, of staying how you stay and of the realms of the living and the other. Because so much of life is determined from our side by who stays and who goes. And that gets so, that becomes so much more grandiose than like how they lived, what they did, how true it was, the joy of that. And I've been thinking about this, especially in a time where so many people are prematurely murdered, which is like, well, this is why you have to tend to yourself, right? Like anything is possible. Don't worry. It don't have to be a gun. It could be a car. It could be a fucking icicle on a bad day in winter coming from a rooftop in a city. But like, so long as you're living your life as truthfully 
steadfastly as you can, as firmly as you can in the service of what you say is true for you, what you believe, what you depend upon to help construct your trust in reality. It's like, then it doesn't matter when you go because you got the job done. The job done is to be who you are as you would be in the way that you most prefer. And you can do that. You're going to do that anyway, right? Even in a sense of mediocrity, even if you don't participate, you're participating because existence is means to be, that's all it can do. It's all inclusive. The one thing you can't do is opt out, but you can be more influential in how you engage and how then you become engaged with in return. And so I've spoken a lot about this and, you know, with my face and with my ancestry and with my history and the things I come with, I hope the message hits differently simply because if I was someone obviously who was white saying this, I would not be speaking from a place of as much understanding. And if I was speaking like this, I would have so much more work to do (laughs) in terms of not taking up space. And we still have that work, you know, we still have light skin privilege in a systemically colored society. So there's that too. But yeah, it's just, it's important that people recognize that it's not zero and 180, like 180 degrees. That's, that's binary thinking. And so I'm trying to deconstruct the binary from a spiritual, psychological perspective, because I'm a cis person. I don't understand it from an anatomical perspective, but I do understand that existence is a spectrum and having even this perspective gives you view of this and this. But if you're at zero and you're at 180 degrees, the only way you're ever going to see each other is collision or oblivion, just drifting apart. Yeah. And that's interesting that you say that because I, um, on the podcast that's going to be um, released before um, yours, we talk about uh, queering spirituality um, with Monet Noel Marshall. And, you know, I think that regardless of like our makeup, right, um, or even how we identify as we come into more unity with the collective or existence, like we see how the binary is not beneficial um, in many ways or how we limit or restrict ourselves from experiencing wholeness um, and getting to live what you're saying is like that fullness of who we are, what we believe and like taking up that space and doing all those things. Um, But when we talk about activism in the age of Aquarius or even just these grand ideas outside of activism for like this world that we want to build, on your new album, Good Grief. So awesome. Uh, yeah. um, you have a Thank song you. called <laughs> You have a song called Prometheus. And I want to kind of ask you a little bit about that because it feels it doesn't it feels like a bit of admonishment, but like with love and edification of a Pisces of like you have this access to all of this power or like you say you believe this or you say you want this to be true, but when it actually comes time for you to live into it, like you're not really about that life. So tell us what you were trying to um, express to the collective. I mean, that, that was work. pretty good right there. So, you know, that, was, <laughs> that was on point. Yeah, it's it's got multi, of course it has multidimensional meaning on on a level, of course, it's what you just described. It's like 
you don't really want power of a God. Like you say you want this thing, but a power of a God is the power of all seeing, all knowing, which means accountability. And so people want the trappings. Prometheus and the Greek arch- and the Greek pantheon steals fire from the gods to take to humanity. And his punishment is that he, for all eternity, has his liver picked by a vulture on a boulder and it grows back every day and the vulture comes back and does it again. This is punishment for existence. And so I was like, oh, how funny. Prometheus has the United States in it. Like Prometheus, Prometheus, U.S. And obviously I wrote it in 2020. COVID, COVID epicenter 2020 and game changer. So I was just looking at the flagrantly ridiculous behavior being like, people want leader. They want to be leaders, but they don't want leadership. They want obedience. They want all encompassing permission to do whatever they want to do. But it's like, if you want power of a God, you got to know like they're infinite beings. So the punishments can be infinite too. And the punishments is, you know, basically your perspective. It's not going to be getting your liver picked out by a vulture. So I chose on the song an eagle instead, because that's our bird. And also because I originally thought it was an eagle. And then I was like, there aren't eagles in Greece. And then I looked up the original, I looked up the pantheon. I was like, oh, it's a vulture. But I changed it for the US culture. And for us as a cautionary tale. And like, an ode to saying you want something that you're actually not ready to handle in the way that you claim and then to blame existence for showing up fully when you said that's what you wanted to engage with. That's where you get fucked up. (laughs) And it applies to so much. Um, Like you said, it's multidimensional, but even like in spirituality, any pursuits, of consciousness or awakening or whatever you think you might be, whatever path you think you might be going down. Um, when you actually get quote powers, um, right. Or gifts mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or whatever. It's like, Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? With all yeah. Including, especially with Claire's having any of the Claire's knowing things, before they're known by others to themselves, maybe things you're quote unquote not supposed to know. Um, and just knowing stuff that's, that I mean, that really from an intuitive perspective should prove to you the, in, the, the integral connectivity of existence. Because if you can dream for even the fascist, if you can have a dream with Donald Trump in it, you are connected to that person. And like, it's important to, take your position of power in that association and know that like existence is so strong that this is just a day in the life of infinity. You know, like this wild, the wildness, the buck wildness that we experience is just a day in the life of infinity. And that, if anything, I think is what existence wants. It's like, see me for what I am, or, you know, maybe that's ableist, know me for what I am. And and then know that godliness. But you have to accept everything that I am, which is everything else that you consider yourself not to be. 
which is a lot of, that's like masterful work, you know, that's not right. easy to do. Yeah. That's like the 40 years. Right, that's that you crazy. About when you just said that, I looked down, you said 40 years and it was 44, 44 on the clock. So yes, mastery. Yes. <laughs> Existence, like you know what you're talking about up oh, here. thank you spirit um, <laughs> but as you said that like my heart so I'll just be vulnerable and honest like something that I'm experiencing recently um is like this heart expansion and like activation and awakening as I'm like learning more about other dimensions and other like aspects, particularly of my own existence and just all of these things. And something that I've experienced um, in the last month is like this nonstop feeling of like connectivity, um, like you're saying, and like knowing that I'm connected to all that is, but this shit is so scary and it's so uncomfortable and it's so it's a lot. And so I feel like we're all going to be at this point, like one at one point in time. And so your love letter, number 30, um, that closes the album, when you basically, well, this is the way I experienced. Please tell me, please tell me. It was like a prayer to existence or a communication to home, um, a communication to all that is. And like, I know like somebody hears me. I know I'm not alone. I know that I'm not like the only person out there or out here experiencing this, but like right now I do feel a little alone Mm -hmm. and I want to experience someone else. or I want to experience other people at this same level of awareness or at least it felt it made me feel empty but not in the way that you're trying to fill a void it was just very spacious and it was just like okay yeah I feel like this is what my heart activation or this heart awakening feels like now it's because like yeah like I have all of this love to give but it's like is it okay to give it to somebody else like and if I give it away I don't want it to just feel like I'm giving it out I want to be inhabited like I want to like somebody to like take up space too and so talk about that a little bit yes I mean you're talking about it I was just looking at your your email hello overflow indeed hello overflow at gmail.com okay because that's so true well one it's so funny I was speaking with my sound engineer a millennial Nick and I was like you know trust me has to feel like I'm sending a transmission across time and space and dimensions to my people to be like, yo, there's more out here. And like, I've made it like, come on. Or, you know, like I'm going on. If we're talking about like a Narles Barkley song, like come with me into the great beyond. And then when you get to love letter, it's almost like you arrive at where I'm at. And at first you're overhearing a conversation I'm having maybe with, existence myself and like the androgynous all that is my higher self and then I I hope by like the middle of the track because at first it's like what the fuck is this and then by the middle of the track you're sort of like so engulfed in the constant waves of like confession 
that you feel seen, you feel felt, and you also know that like this place is for you. Like you're the space that you take up is for you. And it's so fascinating. I wrote that letter probably last, like 2019 sometime. I keep thinking last year, but it's 2021. So in 2019 sometime. And I was recently speaking to a friend who um, got a tattoo with the word lonely. And I was like, interesting. I don't know if that means like exactly what you think it means. So of course, me being an etymologist, I had to go look at it. And it means whole as one. And I was like, ah, so loneliness isn't what we think it is. And so in my love letter, when I say, I'm not lonely, amazingly, I'm too entertained, but alone building, I remain like I'm whole Mm -hmm. or I am a like whole as one. So I am one. Mm -hmm. And, but I'm not lonely in the sense that the more, I think like the more elevated in frequency and in consciousness and in awareness that you become, the more love you actually have. So you realize like, I'm not lonely. Like we're lonely together. We're whole as one. Like this is what we do here. This is how it is. We each have to have our perspective and like, when we do meld into the great beyond, that is to not have a perspective. So it's like, there's, it's an invitation to sort of let your ego identity dissolve. And then ideally by the end, you feel the love a little bit. That's the hope. Well, thank you for being lonely with me today. Yes. It's been beautiful. Also like to intuition on point, obviously music delivered and it's so I'm so grateful that this is my because you had asked if I wanted to reschedule and I was like no I think it'll be good energy I mean yeah I did get three hours of sleep that was going to happen anyway (laughs) felt like a kid before like my birthday when I was a child and I would be like I'm awake it's my birthday already everybody else wake up but it's really beautiful to speak to you after having listened to it because it really says it said what I wanted it to say. Mm. And both of those tracks, especially if those are the ones that stood out for you because they're not close together on the album. So it's wonderful that you remember Prometheus after listening to Love Letter 30, like that the, the words stick with you or that the song sticks with you. I'm very grateful for that. Well, I am grateful for that offering to the world. Everybody check out Good Grief. It's available to purchase on Bandcamp and what? will be available to stream yeah. other places. Every, it will be over the days. So the way that DistroKid works is that they distribute it to each streamer and then they put it out when they want to. So I will keep everybody posted, but keep just looking for Sanua Stellar. Find my profile on your engine and follow me and then they'll let you know when it drops. Yeah. And no, it was so beautiful to speak about consciousness and openness. And I thank you for your vulnerability. Actually, let me not leave before I say this because Spirit's speaking on this. But like, (laughs) there, you said something to the effect of like, the feeling is, maybe you didn't say scary, but like, you said scary? Okay. So, and I get it because it's like, oh God, like, look how close we actually are. 
like look how our skin is literally each other's skin and like how we're touching look at how closely we're touching you know it's very intimate that knowledge it's that and i guess that's why i call it dynamic neutrality or like consider existence androgynous because it's embracing all the forms and like amalgamating it into its identity of what oneness is on a infinite level right and so yeah when that energy punches through your heart center it's gonna blow things wide open and like the debris right like you're just like a beacon and a conduit for light so i i completely understand the discomfort usually it comes with like a physical ailment right like some sort of sick physical spiritual awakening where existence wants to remind you like the consciousness is stronger than the body um and is and is influenced by it and it's not necessarily always the other way around where a lot of people imagine it's like the body determining how they think how they feel and i think you're going through that process where you're like oh shit this is all coming from me and like i connect in the ways that i pay attention and like everything else is just what they're doing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's a big and also just a part of that claire like you knowing stuff that we all came here to learn but we just learning at this accelerated scale where it's so intensely a part of your life because you can't do the work without being honest in life right and also in our practice unlike religions and stuff i think what's and that, not to say that we're not vulnerable to the same sort of corruption or bastardization or something, but like you, every skill is so different that like it, if you're fake, faking it, the rubric, you can't follow someone else's rubric for very long. You need to like mm-hmm. copy and paste. You can't be like, oh, okay, this is a book. I can speak to this book. We don't have that. So we have to constantly be in our integrity to even be long-term successful and that's going to become more and more evident as people come through their spiritual awakenings and all this coviding and pandemicing real makes people realize oh so much of me is not my body because i'm in it a hundred percent of the time now and i just want to disassociate from it <laughs> so yeah that's the mess. welcome to the age of aquarius everyone <laughs> Thank you, This episode was brought to you by our For the Lover in You life class. You can take part one of that life class, Unlearning Sexual Shame, for free now at Overflow.co. Overflow is a nurturing space for the rediscovery of your sacred self.